Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to the Greatest Generation, Deep Space Nine. It's a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed about having a Star Trek podcast. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. Adam, we are recording this late at night, uh, the night before you have to fly out for uh, a trip, uh, mm-hmm. because uh, we were we were planning on recording earlier this week, a, a week that was already very busy before I had jury duty. Just uh, perfect timing is <laughs> yeah. jury duty, right? Like I'm, I'm very happy to do like my civic duty and and serve on a jury, but like, can we get the timing down? When they distributed the questionnaire to the jury pool, like, did you put down Star Trek podcaster as your occupation? The jury selection process took two days for this this trial, and uh, it was an attempted murder featuring oh. a machete. Whoa! And, and uh, I sat there for two days, thinking a lot about how I would answer some of the questions that the attorneys were asking prospective jurors. And first one on the list was, "What do you tell them your profession is?" <laughs> because you know, I I kind of need to not be here, so I could say like uh, foremost Star Trek podcaster. That would be worse. I mean, it's not true. You are the foremost Star Trek podcaster. I'm merely one of your minions. Mm. Saying my primary source of income is a Star Trek podcast in a room full of serious people doing a very serious job just felt like disrespectful to the institution of the court. You know, I mean, it being LA, I'm sure half of the jury pool was podcasters, so... Like, I'm sure they hear that all the time, right? There was one guy that said he was an actor in my side, but nobody else in the entertainment industry. And uh, Did you recognize this actor? I did not. He said he was he mainly worked as a stunt person. I take it, because we're talking right now about it, that you were not selected. Is that a fair assumption? I was dismissed, but... Uh, were you dismissed to your face, or did you not make the cut? Like, that there's a different way that... That you don't make a jury. Like yeah. One of them is like you're actually questioned by a prosecutor, and then based on your answers, you're dismissed. Is that how it went down? Uh, they impaneled the jury. They got 12 jurors, finally, mm-hmm. after two entire days of this. And then they went through eight people to get two alternates. Like, eight people got up there, and went, like one of them was like, I'm trying to be a cop. One of them had like a very similar traumatic uh, relationship with like you know like with a, a machete a, like the, there was machete history it wasn't i don't think it was a machete but she had like some event in her past that was like unbelievably similar to the thing that you know the vague description of the case that we had gotten and the judge was like i don't want to like put you through this <laughs> you know like and it was like i agreed with all of the dismissals you know it seemed like they were dismissed for good reason but i was also watching all of the uh the benches in the in the uh, audience area uh, get emptier and emptier and realizing that the probability of me getting impaneled as an alternate was going through the roof. That was not my jury experience. Like, we were basically, like, in a line at Disneyland, like, and wow. when people got dismissed, like, the line moved right up, and... Yeah, before I knew it, I was in the box. Wow! And I and I served on a on a jury for a federal case that lasted for almost four weeks. 
Wow. It was not a violent crime, though. It was a financial crime. So it was the SEC suing someone. (laughs) I didn't know that the federal government spent much time punishing people for financial crimes. It's nice to hear that that happens. It was a different time, Ben. It was like 10 years ago. Um, all that being said, like I was, I had a lot of feelings about what it would be like to serve on a jury and I kind of wished I had gotten the experience in a weird way just cause it's like, I've never done that before. And it seems oh. like a, a big, like moral and personal challenge. Mm-hmm. Like I have really like studiously led my, my life in a way so as to avoid making life or death decisions about other people, you know, like I, I could never be a doctor because I am too scared of having, having that kind of, uh, you know, weight to all of my decisions. Risk is part of the game. You want to sit in that chair. I was tantalized by it, but also scared of it. You know, it felt like standing on the edge of a tall building. Like you're, you're not scared. You're going to fall. You're scared. You're going to jump kind of a thing. Well, even though my trial was nonviolent, I had very different feelings about my willingness to participate in a jury and also like <laughs> my interest in deciding things for other people yeah. is far different too, I guess. <laughs> I had such a profound experience being on the jury for as long as I did. I briefly like looked into changing careers and going into law. Wow. It, it really spoke to me. Deeply, And I think, honestly, the best part was just listening to people argue and then in my head deciding which one was had the better argument. Yeah, I like that. I could do that professionally. That's, <laughs> that was something that was very appealing to me. I did really like the kind of cantankerous mustachioed judge that we had. And I was like, I, like if I was like 20% more cantankerous, I think I could enjoy being a judge. Yeah. But, you you know, you got to eat a lot of plates of shit before you get to being a judge. That's a pretty great spot in a courtroom, man. Yeah. Well, Adam, uh, we have a bit of a special app today, and I'm not just talking about the fact that it's a Max Fun Drive app. I'm talking right. about the fact that it's a, uh, it's a Lost in the Nebula app. The Nebula having caused us to do an episode of The Greatest Generation without notes. Here's, the, here's what I'll tell you, Ben. Okay. Uh, I wrote down character names. Oh. And because I do not believe that to be against the the spirit of the thing. I think sure. the spirit of of no notes is the retelling of a story in your own words. And I think if we were to do that and also be fumble fucking around with with alien names, I don't think that would be <laughs> enjoyable for anyone. So I want to make sure at least that I have the names right. And so I did write those down. I I've been like flashcarding myself sitting here waiting for you to get set up so that I could try to remember them, but I have no confidence. So uh, I, wow. I'm going to lean on the fact that you have the names written down. Here's- All right. I've got your back on that. I also wrote down uh, some notes for rating and review, and I wrote down my Shimoda, thinking that that also existed outside the rules. Yeah, I think Shimoda reasonably uh, exists outside the rules. It feels really weird to do an episode of this show in a brand new way after so many times. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but I'm ready. I'm ready to do it, Ben. Let's discuss from memory Star Trek Deep Space Nine Season 4, Episode 5, Rejoined. Do you realize how incredible this is? (laughs) No, of course you don't. We start with a scene of Jedzia Dax doing 
some sleight of hand with an egg. This is like a regular earth egg, which is a little disappointing, you know? Yeah. Why didn't they get an alien uh, egg? Oh, yeah. Just get one of those ones that the Cardassian guy eats in the There Are Four Lights episodes. Most people become ill at the sight of live Taspa. Oh, yeah. Quark is doing something uh, in response to, to like, the sleight of hand tricks that, that Dax and Bashir is doing that Larry Wilmore would call Ferengi React. <laughs> <laughs> she swallowed the egg before she came to the bar and then regurgitated it on cue. He is flipping out. He's got like the mind of a toddler. Yeah. <laughs> this is not a good look for Quark. <laughs> and uh, this isn't even street magic. This isn't even like the kind where like you no. think you're inflicting harm on the magician. It's just like This is Uncle Magic. <laughs> yes, it is. It's Uncle Magic. Quite disgusting, actually. Is Uncle Magic when you work in the house of the magician? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, uh, so Dax gets called up to uh, to Cisco's office. He's got a fairly grim look on his face when the door opens and Dax walks in. And this is an Avery Brooks directed episode. It is. I think he directs himself. In particular, very interestingly in this episode, he's really scowling at her. And I was like, oh, man, like, it looks like he's pissed at her. And then I realized that, like, as a boss, when you have to, like, break bad news to somebody, you need to, like, emotionally prepare them for that. It's possible to prime somebody for having a worse reaction to bad news than is warranted. You're right. Because by by starting... With a scowl, you're making the floor a little closer conversationally, right? Right. But if you start off all chummy and happy, that floor is going to be uh, a lot further down when you hit it. Right. And, and, and I think you can do this like in opposite, the opposite way, too. Like My wife recently had to ask for some time off at work and went to her boss just like ashen face like this is a I, I know a huge ask and it was like she had to ask for a week off and by the time she got to the point of t- saying that what she was asking for was one week off he was like oh geez i thought you were gonna ask for like a month <laughs> you know wow for her like that's the right hedge right you want to hedge in that direction. Yeah. So I thought this was an interesting play on his part because the bad news that he has is that uh, Lenara Khan, a Trill scientist, is coming to the station to do some some science tests on the little D. You remembered L- Lenara Khan from memory? I did. Great job, Ben. <laughs> wow. There is no fucking way that I would remember that. So Lenara Khan is an ex-wife of uh, Tarias Dax? Is that right? Correct. Yes. yes. Go me. Go me. <laughs> <laughs> Interestingly, like one of the few trill that isn't an ankylosaur style symbiont, but a nubbin bug from uh, SETI Alpha 5. It's a hell of a combination. And this is a problem for reasons that we will get into later in the episode. But like one thing I also love about Cisco is that he's got a bunch of outs figured out for, for Dax. Like, yeah, you, you like this is going to suck for you, but like I'm going to cover for you and you've got a bunch of vacation saved up. Why don't you use it? If you had to pick one, is he being a better boss or a better friend in this scene? I feel like professionally, this is a great boss move. Yeah. To just 
not even give her the chance of of being in a position that could result in her exile, which is like not to cut to too much later, but like the risk to this person being on the station is so grave that it could have that kind of impact. I mean, it's also just like from a budget standpoint, like if you have like one of your key employees take vacation, you don't want them to be gone for like three months or whatever because they've accumulated so much time off. Right. Dax has a very like Picard approach to her her paid leave, you know, just lets it lets it pile up like cordwood. Yeah, you can't do that. You need to be about some self-care. Kira got this uh, too, right? Didn't Bashir order Kira to, to knock off for a long time? That's right. It's different coming from a doctor, though. This isn't medically prescribed. Yeah, but that's what happened to Picard. Yeah, that's true. Huh. And then he went to Ryza and got into all kinds of hijinks. Yeah, Cisco basically bookends the ep. We see him a little bit here, and then we see him toward the end at at basically the story's inflection point. Yeah. And uh, the rest of the episode, he pretty much stays away because he's not the captain of the Defiant. The story is the scientists are coming on board to borrow the Defiant in order to create an artificial wormhole. Yeah, they want to create a triangle in space. Yeah, flaming triangle. So Worf and uh, Kira and... Dax go down to to meet these scientists as they come aboard. Oh, does the scene in the bar, because they go back to the bar, right, at some point? Is that that, uh, before the scientists show up when Bashir explains the stakes to Kira? It's kind of a neat coincidence that we are doing this special episode about this special episode of DS9 because this scene is Bashir and Kira giving Quark the lowdown, <laughs> like trying to explain to him why this is so interesting and fraught for Dax. Right. And Quark can't remember or or keep all of the names straight. To be honest, I'm sorry about the whole thing. I was giving me a headache. I thought it would have been nice if Quark had called out the one that he had played in the episode where they all took on the personality of a previous host briefly. Right, yeah. I felt like some connective tissue to that part of Dax's story was irritatingly lacking. There's nothing quite like holding a baby to your breast. The scene's sole purpose for being is to deliver exposition to the viewer. Yeah. What I felt the scene was lacking was a reason that Quark needed to know this stuff. Yeah. Like, it would have been interesting if if for some reason he needed to know... (laughs) What Lenara Khan's favorite drink might be for some reason. Like, yeah. I don't know. But uh, but that's not here. The scene is just for us. There's a very pretty shot that is framed in the kind of like circular doorway of Quark's where uh, Bashir and Kira talk about the problem with these two symbionts encountering each other in uh, subsequent hosts and in subsequent lives the concept is so interesting though and the more i thought about it the more it made a sick amount of sense right because if if you have this cast system of of trill people that only interact with other trill people you get to create these relationships that last hundreds and hundreds of years Right. And the sort of power concentration that that would create, I think, would be really bad for that society. So while on the micro level of this episode, 
it is made to be a terrible thing and i think we we come to that side of it by the end of the story yeah like the the greater macro story of it makes some sense it's one of my favorite things in sci-fi writing when you set up a bunch of kind of fantastical or super technical truths about a a time and place and then you actually like run down what the ramifications of that would be for characters yeah like, yeah it's a great idea. And and what Bashir tells Kira is that like when people try and like rekindle old flames from the past and in their new hosts, uh, it is so taboo among the Trill that you'll be exiled from the planet uh, if, if you're caught doing it. And exile means they can't uh, take your ankylosaur out and put it into somebody else when you die. So when the hosts die, the symbionts die with them. It sets up a forbidden love type of story, Ben. Boy, it is just inevitable that there's going to be some uh, some forbidden love once that stuff is uttered, right? Do you have a handle on the average number of hosts a trill has? Because, like, we're told that Dax is the eighth host or something. Yeah, I mean, I think that, like... Uh, if you watch a lot of videos online, you might get a skewed sense of what average is. You might think <laughs> nine or ten is average, but it's really right. like five is pretty average. And It's got to be five, right? It just has to be. Satisfying to almost every drill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the five-inch ankylosaur is perfect, <laughs> and everyone knows it. <laughs> The reason I ask that is because, like, much is made over the idea of throwing your life away. And Dax is in her 30s as a host, and so one might assume that her life would last another, I don't know, 80-ish years. Let's just say 80 years. Yeah, I mean, Curzon was, like, past 100 by quite a bit when he died, right? It would give another element to this story if if we knew somehow that, like, most Trill have... 20 hosts yeah and so the sacrifice is actually 500 years of living right that that dax is thinking of considering giving up but we never get the math of her sacrifice it's only the emotional math and and that's a choice the episode makes so so we we meet these uh these trill we got uh kind of an older fella kind of looks like a guy who retired to like manhattan beach and uh we've got a younger fella who is uh lanara's brother he kind of reminded me of the hair club for men guy yeah he does have that look he's not just a trill he's also a client yeah younger guy is bijal and older guy is hanor (laughs) hanor pren bijal atner are these guys both also joined I'm just going to assume that if you're... If you don't have a last name, you're not joined, right? Or does your last name change when you get joined? Is it like getting married? Jadzia Dax has two names. Maybe Bejal Atner is the latest in the Atner line of ankylosaurs. Or maybe her last name used to be Atner. Jadzia Atner. I don't know. (laughs) We get the feeling right away that that old... Trill scientist is kind of a hardliner traditionalist type. Uh, yeah, and the uh, and the younger one may have more of an open mind, right? Because this is 1995, right? <laughs> and like the ageism of traditionalists is very much at hand here. Yeah, 
It is hard to ignore the parallels in this story with the kinds of conversations that were happening about like LGBTQ people in 1995, I think. Sure. Like it was still pretty taboo and pretty like forbidden in most quarters. Like I think that uh, like the fact that there is a girl girl like romantic on screen kiss in this episode is a fairly big deal for Star Trek at, at this time. Yeah, they uh, they got a Biff Yeager amount of mail about that scene. <laughs> really, and the world was a different place in '95, and the kiss on this show was not the Roseanne kiss, right. which was like a peck. This was like a kind of a makeout kiss. Yeah. And it uh, it blew some people's minds. It wasn't just a makeout kiss. It's a kiss where there's a visible strand of spit between their mouths for a, a moment, you know? Like that's a it's a hot and heavy kiss. You want to dangle that strand. <laughs> so you know it's good, right? Yeah. Now when you're kissing someone that you really like, <laughs> you're going to want to use enough spittle <laughs> to hang a strand between yourself and your kissing partner, but not so much spittle that it runs out the front of your mouth. <laughs> We're installing a gutter system along the edge of the lower lip <laughs> so that the water drains freely and into the sump system that we designed on last week's episode. In our dream model home with uh, <laughs> the most up-to-date technology, we've installed dentist vacuums <laughs> in every seat, giving you access to suction in every single room in your house. With this smart home system, you can run it from, from your smartphone. Uh, but we're not there yet, Adam. Uh, they no. they have a little party in the uh, the ward room where um, you know they're just celebrating the idea that they're going to be doing some science together. All of the trills kind of gather around Worf as kind of the curiosity of the party. <laughs> In a way that I'm sure made felt made Worf feel terrible and othered. Jesus, yeah, I'm kidding. <laughs> like, like uh, it, it is interesting in, in an episode that is like trying in an honest way to kind of push the envelope in a progressive way to have a scene like this. But uh, uh, I also love the the shit that Worf flips back at them, like when they ask him what he dreams about. <laughs> he says like. <laughs> shit that would give you nightmares basically it is better you do not know i really love the answer he gives before that when asked uh if he's excited for the science mission like i have answered many questions in my life the same way as Worf. when <laughs> when sort of like prompted for an affirmative like you gotta be so psyched for for this presentation of a bullshit hr concept or whatever like whatever it is i saw that look on michael dorn's face and i saw Worf kind of twist someone else's words into something that meant something a little bit like what the asker <laughs> had intended i am looking forward to it yeah. but also like tuning it down in such a way that to make it cling on i, I thought it was great yeah um but at some point dax and uh, lenara are are uh, piling their little plastic plates up with uh, with Bajoran food over at the buffet. They are both self-conscious in this moment because it is it is imp- uh, explicitly an awkward situation. It's in a room with a couple of exes. Right. And uh, and everybody is kind of like peering over at them to see what they're going to do in a way that I think 
a room uh, full of people aware of a couple of exes probably would. It's an intense moment, and it, it kind of endears them to each other. We're both mature adults, and we can handle this. It's a bit of a crucible, right? Yeah. Outside of the buffet drama they're having, there is a fair amount of, like, natural electricity between them. They're watching us again. I know. I wish I knew a little bit about how they cast this, because I imagine they probably had Derry Farrell read with the people that they had come in to read for this part. Right. And they're great together. Yeah, if you don't nail this casting, this episode is not the same at all. What are you doing now? Adam, where are we in this episode? We were at the part where the little D goes out to do science, right? Oh, yeah. So it does its first science, and they have a lot of prep to do. You need to prep the hole yeah. for science. They, they have like a big meeting in, uh, in the little D's engine room. Michael Eddington is there <laughs> for some reason. <laughs> I don't understand his continued presence. Like Cisco trusts him, but that doesn't mean Worf has to, <laughs> right? Is is Eddington stationed on the Defiant? Like, is he allowed on the station even? <laughs> he's sort of like a guy who knows he's going to be fired, but also knows that like his his badge that gets him in and out of the building will be shut off as soon as he leaves, <laughs> and so he just chooses not to leave the building. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the, at some point, Dax and uh, Lenara are left alone by the uh, the crotchety old man, and they have uh, there's a a really nice two shot that goes uncut for a, a a full scene where Dax is kind of like leaning over Lenara's shoulder, like doing that thing where Lenara's hand is on the mouse, and then Dax's hand goes like over top of hers, like she's teaching her bowling. Yeah, or or they're making pottery together or something. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> golf swing. We've seen all of these tropes in television yeah. and film. <laughs> yep. But uh, it is a great scene. The uh, the tension is super thick, spelled with two Cs. Probably another good reason why we're not supposed to spend much time together. <laughs> <laughs> There's a, you know, like when Lenar is talking, Dax is like looking at the place where her neck meets her shoulder, like, it is so sexy, and and it's just an interaction, and it's building to this thing where uh, Lenara's previous host, uh, whose name uh, eludes me, this is Nalani. Nalani, uh, who was married to Tarias. See, I knew I knew my names would come in handy. You're like that person that I'm playing Scrabble with that has the little buck slip with all the two letter <laughs> words written on it. Fucking hate you. <laughs> You're not allowed to have that slip at the game, right? My, one of my uncles plays like that. Oh, and, and he fucking kills me every time I play Scrabble with him. That's cheating. <laughs> That's like having an open dictionary. Tell that to Uncle Ted. I'm sure Uncle Ted has good qualities, but that is not one of them. That is, that's terrible. Yeah. You shouldn't play with Uncle Ted. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, I didn't think that would be the title of the episode. <laughs> I hope none of my extended family hear this. 
Oh, Ben, of course they won't. Yeah, you're right. But uh, <laughs> Ben, what do we know about Avery Brooks as a director? Like hearing you t- say all this stuff in describing the scene makes me remember that what is he more than anything? He's an actor's best friend. Yeah. He's, he's giving these actors super long scenes uncut. His characters are filled with emotional pathos. Yeah. He's, he's expert at this, at like drawing this out of his actors. This moment, I think, weirdly, like in almost no way I can name specifically, reminded me of the scene between Bashir and Kira in the doorway of Quark's bar when they talked about the stakes of this. Yeah. And there was a ton of deep emotional weight in that scene also. Um, But what's happening in this scene is that Jedzia Dax is apologizing for Tarias Dax's kind of devil-may-care test pilot attitude. He ignored something that Nalani said about testing some shuttle, and it killed him and made her a widow. And and Jedzia is expressing sympathy and apology and uh, understanding of the trauma of that in the scene. And it is heavy and it, it like further cements that they are like in love with each other. Was there a moment in time in this episode where you were sure that this was going to work out or were you always thinking that this was going to end in in some kind of tragedy i think this is the probably a good time to ask that question i don't remember like thinking about trying to predict what would happen i think when i was watching it i was thinking this is a tv show and essentially a procedural in most ways and you know this is like one of the earliest tv shows to kind of take the the tropes of a procedural and then take the storylines and extend them out through long story arcs that last entire seasons. But I guess I felt pretty secure in this moment that this was not going to be a paradigm shifting episode. So I wasn't like worried that we wouldn't have Dax after this because she got, you know, sent into exile or something. Right. But I guess, I guess she wouldn't be sent into exile. I guess it could be just something that like, becomes true of her she will never be rejoined after this yeah i i guess i wasn't worried about that for some reason i don't know how about you i just always thought she was gonna die like i just thought Lenara you thought you was... thought lenara was gonna die that yeah. crossed my mind like it definitely crossed my mind that like the convenient the most convenient way to end this as a writer would be for lenara to die and they do kind of head faint at that that would cheapen the ending of the episode, which we'll get to in a little bit. But yeah. interesting how they keep breaking Dax's heart, you know, like as a theme. It right. seems to be a thing for her. So the experiments seem to be working. It's working. They do one experiment and it turns into a success. The flaming triangle opens. It's it's hugs and high fives after the fact. And then there's some scenes afterward where Lenara and Dax are hanging out quite a bit. And this is something that they're not afraid to be in public the way that they might have felt some apprehension in that buffet line. And it catches the attention of the younger brother. Well, yeah, and the old man. Like, there's that scene where they, like, go out to... They're both kind of creeping, right? They go out to dinner, and they, like, third-wheel Bashir, who... Yeah. uh, (laughs) Like, it's maybe the funniest 
friend zone Bashir stuff we've gotten in like two seasons. Um, because I think that like his character has evolved past that. If this were season one Bashir, he'd want to fuck them both. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Instead, he's just bored because he knows that it's not on the table as a possibility. Yeah, like Bashir would want to be finger cuffs. <laughs> um, he's uh, he's relieved to be called away to uh, help uh, somebody's broken leg. Kayaking on the holodeck again. And, uh, and then it turns into just like a full-blown date between Lenara and Dax. And uh, nobody particularly cares except for old man Trill who sees this and is like clearly just creeping on them in the bar, right? Yeah. And he tells the brother, he's like, you know, like, they're awful chummy these days. This this surprised me. It was the younger of the two other scientists is the one that confronts Lenara about it, and that surprised me. I didn't realize that they were brother and sister. Look, I'm your brother. When he confronted her, and I I thought it was kind of a weird, like, uh, like the old guy cares a lot more, and the young guy is, like, kind of riding for her, but then winds up being the one that, that goes and like carries the torch of this shitty traditional yeah. frame of mind. But then like I reexamined it when I realized he's your brother and, and they probably have like a level of intimacy that they can kind of talk about sensitive things without the presumption being, I'm going to go tell the police on you or whatever. Yeah, that's a good point. For the sort of access that a younger brother has to their sister to have a conversation like this where you can just be honest even though it could be hurtful, the overarching issue is so big yeah. and the stakes are so high that the mere reference of this kind of relationship is extremely upsetting to Lenara. Yeah, it's a, it's such a smart allegory because like... This thing that her brother is doing is exactly what homophobes do all the time, which is like, I don't want, it's not that I have anything against it per se, it's just that I don't want my family members to have to deal with the horrible life that you have when you're gay or trans or whatever, which is like, (laughs) just like, you take one step back and realize that you're the kind of person that is making life more challenging for people who are gay or trans. This is such an interesting episode because it becomes the thing that you view it through, right? The lens that you view it through gives this episode a ton of power. Sure. And that was part of the show's reaction to the criticism of this episode. It's like, these are two alien people in the future. Like, this is not a story about... Like, this isn't a story about a same-sex couple, was the defense. Right. Don't put that on it, man. Which I think is a very 1995 defense. I think many contemporary shows would would beat that back a little more directly. It's hard to imagine that they didn't have a lot of intentionality about what this episode is saying when they said it. Well, I mean, Avery Brooks said that that it wasn't about homosexuality as much as it was about the love between two people and yeah. and the cultural stakes of that but it had to cross their mind i don't know no doubt I, no question yeah i mean there's like a bunch of of uh, cons going on right now and some star trek guy got up there and kind of lamented that star trek discovery is the first star trek to have openly gay characters on it because 
every other TV show that exists beat Star Trek to that, and Star Trek used to be the kind of trailblazer in these areas, and hmm. that that is a mark of shame for Star Trek as a result, which I think is a, a totally fair point. I don't know. Like, I can understand, like, you want the things that you love to represent the things that you care about, and it's disappointing when when something that depicts the future lets you down that way. Yeah, and I think representation matters, you know? Like, the, yeah. like it, it really made a sincerely big difference in plenty of people's lives when, like, Ellen came out, you know? Yeah. It was like, yeah. oh, like, this is normal and okay. And she, like, she took a ton of shit on, on like, Oprah and stuff. Like, there's amazing footage of her, like, defending her right to exist as what she is from, like, audience members on talk shows yeah. in, in that in that moment like there was moral courage in that and uh and star trek has like had a a kind of like an inconsistent history with moral courage i think well said yeah to be quite honest about it i was in a pair mr bucket i have to revert back to my state i don't use the bucket anymore uh so lenara is so upset by this interaction with her brother that she uh runs to Dax's quarters and this is the scene they're they're both extremely upset because as I remember it like the scene opens with Lenara making the case that they're just friends and everyone else is being crazy and like there's nothing to worry about and this like it visually hurts Dax to hear yeah someone she loves say this and then eventually it turns into a scene where they're both really arguing for the idea of their continued relationship in the face of of the consequences of it and to re and to reassure Lenara, uh, Dax kisses her. That span of beats in between the last word being uttered and them kissing is like so fucking well directed and so well performed. Like just that, like, are we doing, are we, oh, we're, we are doing this. We are doing it. We are fully making out, you know, it's really stretching the tension taffy. <laughs> like you get, you get a good, Five seconds of yeah of pause. It's good. It's really well done. This is probably just a, a knock against like what an emotional mess I am, but I've never like turned crying into making out in my life. <laughs> you know, like where I was, I was, I was super upset, or the person I was with was super upset, and then we wound up smooching over it. There's so much tension and release here to this moment it's not sex but like it's makeup sex adjacent yeah it like but then she runs off though right like i don't i don't believe we go to commercial with lenara still in dax's quarters no they they cut to a train going into a tunnel they cut to two tunnels actually they cut to a tunnel going into a tunnel (laughs) (laughs) you know what they would do that on naked gun yeah and i love naked gun yeah Cutting directly to Dax and Cisco talking, where Dax is making the case for accepting the punishment that would come from their relationship. Like, like exile's on the table. She's writing for exile. She's like, this love is too important to me to care about exile and, and permanent death. Yeah, and so Cisco kind of rides for responsibility instead. Yeah. And I that mean- kind of infuriates Dax. A lot is made of the presence of Curzon as an element of her personality, 
yeah. who didn't give a fuck, you know, like when, and, and we have a great object lesson in that with Curzotto, mm-hmm. um, who unfortunately is also not really mentioned at all in this episode. But yeah, like the, Cisco is saying like the, the responsible long-term best play here is don't pursue a relationship with her, but if you do, I'm here for you. Like you're my you're my friend and I will ride for you no matter what you choose. Like if it's if if it's what your heart desires, that's what I'm that's what I'm going to fight for. They go out to try and make another triangle. This is like second phase of the experiment and uh the experiment does not go well, Enterprise. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's the same thing where they make the uh, the flaming triangle, but this time they send in a probe and it uh, causes the triangle to explode. Uh, which uh, drops a bunch of bangers on the little D and, uh, and they detect a plasma leak down in engineering and nobody is picking up the radio when they call down there. Do you think that Worf in his head is playing the idea of his death having <laughs> happened during a science mission and how disappointing that must be? Like, I've got to believe that he's got a mechleth where Cisco keeps his soup normally and it's like, if I have to do this myself, like if I if I have to fight someone on the bridge of the Little D before the warp core goes, like I'm gonna have to do it. I'm not going out like this. He's got a, a thermos full of poison and a dagger. Yeah. yeah. In seat. God, killed by science would be the worst, right? The worst. We t- we hear like uh, at one point, Lanara gives Jedzia a pair of earrings that she says were given to her by a Klingon scientist. Klingon scientists don't hear about that too often. I really feel like Klingon earrings would be like barrels, right? The kind that the kind that stretch out the lobes. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Uh, not these danglers. When that guy when that guy dies, all the everybody turns to their head to this guy and goes, <laughs> whine out to let the heavens know a nerd is coming. Uh. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Like a tennis umpire, I'm just going to say, like, point four. Like, like, <laughs> there's a plasma fire in engineering. There's a uh, there's a hull breach. This is dangerous stuff. Dax gets down there with the damage control team, and the damage control team have bought, brought some, like, hand implements, and when the door opens, Eddington is like, It's out of control! We can't put it out with those! And we get a look down into engineering, and... Uh, it does not disappoint. There's a great big green fire that has taken up most of the floor, uh, and it's like close to the warp core, which uh, is discussed as being like a a fairly imminent threat threat to the ship. Like if they can't get this thing under control, the uh, the core will be breached and uh, and the D will explode. So there is a pretty radical Star Trek solution to. The problem because uh, Lenara is like slumped on the floor next to the warp core with the fire in between her and them, and uh, and they make like a sloped force field down from this upper area to to where Lenara is that Dax then kind of like gingerly walks down. It's a pretty cool effect. It's a cooler idea. Yeah, like, this is something that we've wanted Odo to do for a long time. Like like 
the idea of this future tech being a utility. Yeah. The idea that she walks down this force field to the other side of engineering is is amazing. I and I never even considered it. Like that's crazy that that they would do this in that way. Great writing and great execution of a complicated idea. I'm sure it was I'm sure it was really fun for the like special effects department to like work on what this would look like and how they would do it. Like I don't I don't even know how you shoot it, you know? Yeah. Like, was she, like, walking down a sloped green screen in a different place or something? I don't know. Yeah, you know, for a director known more for working with actors, this is, like, a real special effect set piece here that takes a lot of effort to direct correctly. Yeah. So, uh, way to go, Avery Brooks. Yeah. So, uh, so Dax saves Khan... They get uh, into a little compartment. I was a little distracted by the fact that Dax never like radioed to Eddington to say, okay, we're clear and sealed into a bulkhead. You can vent the compartment. Right, because <laughs> you know that's coming. They they both said they, they only had like 15 or 20 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> I think Eddington is pissed that uh, that Dax and the whole like fire suppression crew just walked from where they were into engineering. Yeah. That was so maddening. Like, why weren't they running? There's a plasma fire. <laughs> if he's, not then, when would they run? He's got burns all over his face. Yeah. Well, you know, like emergency responders are trained not to run. Oh, yeah. You think that's that's the deal here? Maybe. I don't know. I mean, it's not consistent with anything else we've seen on the show, but... <laughs> Uh, there's a there are a few running pedants <laughs> commenting on the IMDb page of this episode. Yeah, but yeah, they uh, the day is saved. Uh, Lenar is fine. Uh, sadly, the uh, the science experiment did not uh, go exactly as they hoped. But she's gonna she's gonna have to do some studying up. And uh, there's like a a moment when Dax and Lenar are talking about this. Lenar is like kind of recuperating in her quarters, and Dax is like, "Hey, how about you like stick around here for the next few months and uh, do your research? Uh, you know, like stay in my place or whatever." What's sad is that that scene in the Jeffrey's tube. I don't want to lose you. Not again. Not again. It sets us up for an expectation that of a happy ending, and that I mean, I and I qualify happy ending with the ending that we want. I believe right. the ending that we want is for Lenara and Dax to be together, but when given the chance for emotions to die down and like them to have made it back to DS Nine, and they're not stuck in a ship about to explode, <laughs> like like cooler heads prevail, and Lenara equivocates a little bit about whether or not she wants to stay because that's that's the thing right like they can continue to do the science from the station and dax extends an invitation to to lenara and to to stay in order to do that yeah and lenara after having a little bit of time between the little d and deep space nine uh does not give an answer that is super satisfying in this moment i can always come back later dax does have a a dramatic flourish here. She kind of sets up the end of the episode by going, you know, I'll just know what decision you've made if you board that ship. Like, you don't have to make the decision now. <laughs> like, that's cool, I guess. Yeah. Like, if you don't want an answer now, like, I guess you could wait. And so she does. She, like, waits on on a balcony on the promenade and, and stakes out and, and, like, waits for Lenara to either board or not. 
it seems like she's ready for this to be not what she wants, right? Yeah. She's definitely up there, like, feeling sad feels already. But when Lenara shows up and is about to board, you know, not having picked her out in the crowd, uh, she really breaks. And then Lenara, like, turns back one more time and finds her up there on the second level. And, boy, this was a, like, I had goosebumps watching this scene. It is so sad because Dax is a fucking wreck and Lenara does not really break you know there's the answer that Dax gets when Lenara boards you know attempts to board her ship home but then there's the layer on top of that which is the reaction to each other you want this to be more difficult for Lenara if you're Dax right you would like some symmetry in the breakdown and I think that's doubly hurtful that not only has Lenara chosen to leave she does not seem as affected as Dax, and that's right. hard. Yeah, I think that's like the the hardest part of it, really. And this is such a great Dax episode because we see her make like an affirmative, explicit choice to follow her heart, and when that blows up in her face, it is so much more painful for that, you know? How many more years will it take before that planet reappears? With that one guy she was in love with last time, I think she's got she's got two uh, yeah two irons in the fire. You know, like maybe uh, maybe Trill society will change in less time than it takes for that planet to reappear, and uh, she'll have some some options. Wow! In the decades to come, that would be great. Morn, 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 sweet morn, morn, morn. You hear, buddy? Morn, stop. Hammer time. Did you like the episode, Adam? I was not expecting this. <laughs> like I I was stepping up to this episode thinking that this would just be another Deep Space 9 episode. Yeah. And what I got instead was an important Deep Space 9 episode. You know? I don't feel like this one gets mentioned when people talk about the list of best episodes of Star Trek. Yeah. Unfairly. I think this is a great episode of Star Trek. I think so, too. So much of science fiction, you know, in many ways, the furthest frontier, Ben, is is the heart. <laughs> <laughs> but by making, that, my, by making that flip comment, what I'm really trying to say is, like, you don't, you rarely see severe romantic emotional trauma to someone in science fiction or an unrecorded love and to see it so beautifully expressed and painfully expressed. Like, I think that's amazing. And this was an episode that, that was painful in those ways. Yeah. And in, in ways that don't diminish, diminish its science fictionness at all. Right. And that's such an amazing uh, magic trick for the episode to have performed speaking of an episode that started with a magic trick (laughs) like uh this really did do a fine job of that yeah i agree with everything you said it's a great episode and an important one yeah no priority one messages this week because it is week two of max fun drive 2019 uh hey adam what's that ben did you find yourself a drunk shimoda Shimoda. yeah i think i'm gonna put wharf back up on the board wow for 
that description of what his dreams are like to, <laughs> let's be honest, a couple of strangers and Kira. Like he goes there on, on strangers in front of Kira in a really fun way. Yeah. And uh, I thought that was, this scene could have gone on for another minute and I would have been totally into it. Like, yeah. It was perfect. Perfectly done. For as emotionally heady as an, an episode as it was, this episode felt fairly target rich with drunk Shimoda's. Yeah. Um, my drunk Shimoda is uh, Dr. Julian Bashir, mm-hmm. um, f- and it's actually the same scene as uh, as your drunk Shimoda when uh, Dax and Connor at the uh, at the buffet, and it it is mentioned that the entire room is looking at them. It cuts back to the uh, to the rest of the room, and the uncharacteristically, the party goers have gathered kind of away from the food, which I've never <laughs> seen in my entire life. Nope. Um, but yeah. everybody is, in fact, kind of looking at them, and notably Bashir is, and he's the only person seated. There's one seat in the room, and he has just taken a seat and angled it so that he can watch <laughs> Tex and Khan interact like as a fucking show. <laughs> so he's like uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger in True Lies. Yeah, like <laughs> he, he's even sitting kind of like that. Like he's got his legs kind of like kind of like splayed out. It's like, what are you doing, Bashir? If this is your friend, when you reach for the hasbrat, <laughs> do it dulcimo. Do it very slowly. <laughs> Uh, I tried to find that on like uh, on streaming the other day. That movie is not available for uh, for internet anywhere I could find. What? Yeah, that movie is so much fun. It's a weird fun movie. I haven't seen that in a long time, but I I'm due for a rewatch. Yeah, um, stick that in the bonus feed, Ben. <laughs> oh, that would be fun. A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. You might have heard us talk about Squarespace before and you're thinking, what do I need a website for? I already have a bunch of profiles across the different social medias. But isn't it time you had a place online that wasn't owned by a social media company? How about you take control of your online identity with a website of your own? For that, there's Squarespace. With Squarespace, you can buy a URL and build a customized website with your name and not a giant social media company's name with your name attached and a bunch of numbers at the end. With Squarespace, you can have a place on the internet personalized to your aesthetic that lets you tell people about who you are instead of an algorithm. And the best part is, you don't have to be an experienced designer or a web page creator to make something great because Squarespace is always there for you 
with their award-winning 24x7 customer support. Don't settle for being another company's product. Be your own product with a website that's all you with Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com. The code is SCARVES. Think it. Dream it. Make it with Squarespace. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Ben, what do we have coming up on the next episode? Next episode is Season 4, Episode 6, Starship Down. A fierce battle with the Jem'Hadar leaves the Defiant trapped in a planet's volatile atmosphere. Oh, boy. The Defiant sure seems like... Uh, maybe you should rename the Defiant the O'Brien, <laughs> given all the bad things that keep happening to it. Yeah. Well, uh, Adam, we always play a game uh, at the end of every episode. It's the Game of Buttholes... The Will of the Prophets. Do you want to see if we will be doing this following episode in any particular type of way? I do, Ben. We're currently on square 82, the no notes caught in the nebula square, uh, where one, two, three, four, five squares ahead is a space butthole, which would take us all the way back down to square 34. It would be a real kick in the junk. Yeah, but it would take us to a measure one. of a man episode, which is sure uh, would. which is a fun type. It feels like we've been getting types of episodes a lot lately. Yeah. I mean, it's an availability heuristic, but uh but I feel the same way. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. All right, I've got a uh, got the bone <laughs> in my hand, Ben. Uh, you have a handsome bone, Adam. Why, thank you. Okay, here we go. Oh, I rolled a six. Chula! Did I win? Hardly. Wow. <laughs> Big roll. You're usually rolling ones. I know. It, that uh, lands us on square 88, just one past that space butthole. Holy mackerel. Yeah. 
Got lucky there, Ben. Wow. Um, and a regular old episode for us. A regular app. Uh, I think that's good. I I'm think looking, so too. I'm looking forward to recovering from an excellent maximum fun drive with a uh, with a nice reg app. You and me both. Well, Adam, uh, we should say thanks to uh, everybody that has supported uh, during this drive. Uh, you have until the 29th to support, but you should really do it right now at maximumfund.org slash donate. It's one of those things where if you don't do it while you're thinking about it, you'll forget and then you won't do it. And then everybody will uh, think less of you. Yeah, you don't want to feel like that, right? No, you want to feel... You don't want to feel bad, do you? You want to feel good and you want to get gifts. And uh, that's why you go to MaximumFun.org slash donate. Uh, if you, if uh, it's not in the budget for you, that's totally fine. Uh, you can support us in lots of other ways. Uh, go to uh, your podcatcher of choice and leave us a nice review. Uh, those reviews, uh, you know, help uh, help our show's visibility, help us grow the audience and the uh, and the pool of potential people who can cover your your uh, your your portion of the show. Uh, with their monthly contributions, so we really appreciate the reviews as well. We got to thank some people who make the show possible, Ben. It's not just you and me. It's no. a village. It's it, a village of nerds. It takes. It takes a village of nerds. <laughs> We're talking specifically about people like Adam Ragusio. We brought him up earlier as uh, as the composer of music for our uh, our donor feed. Uh, episodes. He he does great work there, and he also makes the interstitial music uh, for this very show. He made the Kirk song, which is his version of the Picard song, for our uh, Greatest Gen Con tour last year. And uh, that episode is also in the donor feed, something I'm very proud of. Did you know that custom artwork is made for this show every week by two people, Ben? That's true. We've got, I mean, it's uh, by more than two people, but two people are committed to doing it on a weekly basis. Right. Many people have created art for this show for some reason. <laughs> two, two people continue to do it week in and week out. Uh, I'm talking, of course, about Bill Tilly, who makes the trading cards about every episode that we do. And uh, J.J. Lendl, who makes a uh, movie-style poster and puts it out on Twitter every Sunday night before our Monday app. Gets uh, people excited. I'm uh, always delighted at both of those. They're really fun to look at. Uh, we should thank Dark Materia, who made the original theme music uh, for our show. And uh, we should thank all of the great folks at MaximumFun.org who uh, really uh, you know, put their heart and soul into, into this work. They, uh, they do so much to support our show. And, uh, and uh, you know, it's, it's a very complicated thing you know like managing all the p1s and putting them in calendars and stuff and there's a there's a a room full of people up in a tall building in los angeles that work hard every day to uh to make sure that the uh the ground is cleared for us to just make a make a silly podcast and not have to worry too much about the business side of it so uh we really appreciate them check out the other shows on the network and uh you'll have to call again and you know, like uh, this show is a dream come true for us. You know, it's um, it's something that uh, I think that we both really liked the idea of doing something with comedy in our careers, and never really felt like we had a way to get there. I certainly, you know, I took like a lot of classes at UCB over the years, and never quite felt like. 
I wanted to do improv and I never, you know, I, I love stand up, but I've never felt drawn to it. And uh, you were uncomfortable with male nudity. <laughs> That's why you'd never succeeded at UCB, Ben. Yeah, that was part of it. Um, but, you know, meeting you and getting getting to do this with you every week has been a sincere joy in my life. And the fact that anybody else cares about it at all is a miracle that uh, this show means a lot to a lot of people. And that is a, a, a real privilege. Like the, the idea that uh, so many friends of DeSoto are out there uh, waiting for this show to come out every week. So um, I think um, one of the things I love the most about the Max Fun Drive is it is a, a nice time to pause and reflect about uh, how, how lucky we are to get to do this for all of you. And especially that so many of you have chosen to, to step up and support what we do uh, as silly as it is. Well put, Ben. I couldn't put it any better myself. With that, we'll be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. An episode of The Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine, which looks to be cooking in the upper atmosphere. (laughs) Like so much barbecue. Mm. Oh, so it's kind of going slow and low. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, the little D. The little D's, you're going to want to cook the little D low and slow, Ben. Yeah, yeah, those nacelles come right off the bone. Yeah. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.